continues, in fact, into Genesis chapter 20, which is the verse, the passage we're going to look at tonight. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and we're reading from the New International Version of the Scriptures. Here it is written, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead. Because of the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes. I know that you did this with a clear conscience and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And then, when God caused me to wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you should show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. When Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah's his wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. And to Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. But Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. But the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. May God bless that reading of his word to us. A man had a problem with a wife, I'm sorry, a problem with his son who was constantly lying. And so he went to, the, the, went to a scientist who built him a special robot called a liebot which could detect lies being told, and when, he, when the robot heard a lie, would slap the liar in the face. So the man brought back this robot from the scientist and took it into his living room, put it on the dining room table, and turned it on. And then he turned to his son and said to him, where have you been all this day? You weren't at school. 
And the boy said, I was at school, Dad. And the robot slapped him. Okay, he said, I wasn't at school, Dad. I went to the cinema with a mate. So the father said, who were you with and what did you watch? And the boy said, I was with John and we watched a Disney movie. And again, the robot slapped him. Okay, okay, he said, I was with a girl and we sneaked into a Certificate 8 movie. Okay. That's awful, said the father. When I was your age, I never once skipped school. And the robot slapped him. At this, the wife burst out, burst out laughing and said, You can't be too hard on him, Henry. After all, he is your, sl- is your son. And the robot slapped her. Lying. You don't have to teach people to lie, do you? We've got two boys. They're now 27 and 30. When they were younger, we never had to teach our boys to lie. It seems to come naturally. And once you make one lie, then you have to make another to cover up the truth. It can become impossible to stop. And sadly, Abraham is one such man that got himself into the habit of lying. And the first thing we see in this passage is this. You're never too senior to slip up. David reminded us earlier on that we can become hoary older individuals. But even a hoary individual, even a senior Christian of many, many years, doesn't mean that you're beyond slipping up and making mistakes. Abraham has just been given an amazing promise God said to him in chapter 17, My covenant I will establish with, you, with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you. By this time next year, Abraham was within a magic 12-month period. In that 12 months, Sarah will give birth to Isaac. And Isaac, of course, was the great son that Abraham had been promised for many, many years. This has happened only recently, in chapter 17 of Genesis. And in between that, we've had the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've had, Isaac, we've had Abraham interceding for Lot and his family, having the confidence to stand before God, interceding. Here is the mighty man of faith, mentioned in the New Testament, the very epitome of faith, the one who has become the great patriarch of the Jewish nation and the Christian faith. And yet, we find him going back to his old ways. And these are his old ways. Because chapter 20 is nothing new. Here we see him repeating the very sins he first committed when God caused him to go in in the the direction God was leading him. The very first place that Abraham, Abraham, as he was called then, and Sarai went to was Egypt. And in chapter 12, you will read on an almost identical story about Abraham lying about Sarah when Pharaoh fell in love with her. It's as if he'd learned nothing. You see, we're never too senior to slip up. There's never a moment in the Christian life when we can sit back and say, I've made it. I'm there. I'm so mature. That's it. Sin and failure is behind me. Because you're guaranteed at that very moment to be tested and to discover you're far more fallible than you think. This whole situation occurred in verse 1 when we're told that Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and for a while he stayed in Gerur. 
And Gurur is quite interesting place because it's been um, archaeologically um, uh, dug into and they've discovered a very, very prosperous, a very, very prosperous city that sat on the, the famous um, Egyptian trade route. Very, very prosperous place. And it may well have been that he went there because of the, the fertility of the area and it was a great place that was very prosperous. And, and Abraham was essentially a very good businessman. He had lots of livestock. He may have gone there, in fact, to actually further on his business. And so he arrives in this, in this, in this place and is faced in a very situ- similar situation as he faced when he went into Egypt. It's just interesting to see that when you read about this passage in some of the, um, some of the commentaries that it's seen as being so similar that some of the liberal scholars suggest it's in fact the same event. All that's happened is the narrator has just changed some of the details. But here is an, indi- is an, is an example of the Bible repeating itself. But I don't repeat, believe that for a moment. The reason that it's in the Bible is because it happened chronologically in this way. It's showing us that Abraham was a fallible human being. And he stands as a warning to all of us. Because we're never too senior to slip up. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is the Bible doesn't cover over and gloss over the mistakes of humankind. Nowadays, if you have a photograph taken, you can go into software, you can get on your computer. I've got it on my computer. And you can gloss over people. You can take out wrinkles. You can reduce the size of people's girth. You can increase the hair on people's heads. It's wonderful if you want to have a profile on Facebook that doesn't represent you as a real person. But that's the kind of life we live on. People live by pictures of themselves. I must confess, on Facebook, the picture of me is five years old. I need to change that picture. I'm wearing a bike helmet on one of them. But, um, but, you know, it's not a recent picture. But, you see, we're obsessed with the way we look. And we don't want to look at ourselves with a pair of very strong glasses on. Oliver Cromwell, who was to become, of course, the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland in the 1600s, was painted by the very famous artist Sir Peter Lilly, which is up there today. And you can probably see if you look at that picture that he wasn't particularly a handsome man. He wasn't a great beauty of his kind. He had a great intellect and a great mind, but wasn't great ha- very handsome. But when he saw this picture, he told the artist to take it back and to paint him warts and all. Warts and all, because the reality was Cromwell was not a ha- handsome man. And he had several. He had three big warts on his face. One, you can't actually see, it's behind his nose, because his nose was quite big anyway. But you can see warts on his face. And he said, that's not me. Paint me, warts and all. And the Bible does that. It paints people warts and all. And it does that not to show people being ugly for the sake of being ugly, but showing the reality of humankind. That we do fail. We do slip up. The Bible doesn't want to give us a false impression of the Christian faith. Jesus told us that when we follow him, it means carrying the cross. It's not exactly the manifesto that most politicians will use. Say, follow me and I'll make things wonderful. Jesus said, follow me and you've got a heavy cross to carry. But at the same time, my yoke is light. The Bible paints it as it is. It says it can be tough to be a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. 
And Abraham repeats the same mistake he made in Egypt because he repeated the same mistake he made in Egypt. That's why the Bible records it that way. And he pretends that Sarah is his sister. See, the greatest danger in our Christian lives is when we think we've become too strong to fall for that old sin. We've moved beyond it. That's in our past. Because that's the time we're going to find it being very much in our present. The time we will know total victory is the time that we as Valerie's hymn talked about, see him face to face. And that's when finally you will know that sin is behind you and failure is something in your past. Abraham, unfortunately, was a pragmatist. When faced with difficulty, he would try and find a human solution, even an immoral one. He'd done that when he'd taken Hagar to be his surrogate wife to give him Ishmael. He'd done it in, in Egypt, and he does it again here in Philistia, in the land of the Philistines. And Abraham tells us the reason for this deceit. He tells us in this passage, in verse 11, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. In 1978, Dr. Hook produced a very famous song. Anyone remember what it is? It was in, it's been in the charts. It's one of the old ones, 1978. Sorry? Sylvia's mother. So, good, good trying. It wasn't Sylvia's mother. It was this one here. When you're in love with a beautiful woman. Okay. And it's, yeah, it was a Dr. Hood number, but it's the wrong one. But yeah, and the lines go this, when you're in love with a beautiful woman, it's hard. When you're in love with a beautiful woman, you know it's hard. Everyone wants her. Everyone loves her. Everyone wants to take your baby home. It's my story of my life, being in love with a beautiful woman. I'm going to suffer for that later on, trust me. (laughs) But the reality was, Sarah was a beautiful woman. And... Abraham was the problem. Wherever he went along, people fell in love with Sarah. People wanted Sarah. And so he developed this pattern, this lie. But he would would tell people that as she was, his half-sister, they they would tell that he was a a half-sister. The crazy thing is, you think to yourself, has he learnt nothing? Did he not see the destruction that God brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah? He did not see the, the liberation that he brought to Lot and his family by the, def, by the defeating of the coalition of five kings. Has he not had a great growing relationship with God? Does Abraham not realize? And the answer is yes, he does realize. But he's fallible. Like you and I are fallible. He had learnt. There will be times in your Christian life when you act as if you've learnt nothing. Not because you haven't learnt anything, but because of what you are. You are human beings. Alexander Pope, the famous British poet, said this, To err is human, to forgive divine. We err because we're human. And Abraham, for all his greatness, and the greatness he would become, was a human being like you and me. So Abraham slips up again. He bends the truth and gets bent out of shape as a result. We need to remember that lying is never good. Why? 
because lying is the language of Satan. What did Jesus say? In John chapter 8, verse 44, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we need to remember that it's not a divine language. It's a satanic one. Lies shouldn't be found on the lips of, Je- of the followers of Jesus. But for Abraham, he slipped back into his old ruse and began to go, and he began to say this. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there he said to Ab- Abraham said to his wife Sarah, she is my sister. It's all because he lied and pretended that Sarah was nothing more than a sister to him that these problems began to occur. And then when God appears to Abimelech in the dream, he's horrified to discover he's been tricked. But even then, even when he confronts Abraham, Abraham is not able to be honest with himself. Notice what he says. He rationalizes. He says, besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And then notice what he says. He actually has the audacity to blame God for this. He says, and when God calls me to wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. He was basically saying that when he was back in Aram, not moving because God told him to move, he was okay. This problem didn't occur. But because God calls him to wander, that's why he had to invent this lie. He's saying, I'm sorry, Abimelech, but it's not really my fault. You know, she, first of all, it's true she's my sister. And secondly, God put me up to this because he caused me to move away from my home. Abraham's rationalizing, digging a deeper hole, as liars often have to do. Rather than just saying, yes, you're right, I told a lie and you found me out, I'm sorry. He tells the half-truth. Sarah is his sister. But the whole truth, Sarah is also his wife. He chose not to say It's a deception, intended to mislead, planned to withhold the truth. You see, we can fool ourselves, and we can fool others, but we can never fool God. And whilst Abraham may have deserted the truth, the great wonder of this passage is that God doesn't desert him, does he? God doesn't leave him to stew in his mess, into the morass of his deceit. Rather, we find that God looks after him. Why? Because... Why? Because we've been told in, in chapter 17, verse 21, that he, within a year she will give birth to Isaac, the seed of the promise. So God protected Abraham, and he particularly protected Sarah during this time. We're told in verse 4 that Abimelech had not gone near her. And then we're told, verse 6, the reason for this. God said, I have kept you from sinning against me, but it's why I did not let you touch her. God is protecting the seed. He's protecting the promise. He's protecting Sarah. He's protecting Abraham, even when they've put themselves in this situation. You see, God doesn't desert us, even when we desert the truth, and we desert him. He's working even when Abraham is sinning, protecting him. Why? 
because the songs of songs tell us his love is stronger than death. And so we see that we're never too senior to, to sin or to slip up. And we're also never too senior to see up. And Abraham's biggest mistake is when he ventured into Philistia, into the lands of the Philistines, he simply wrote off its people. He brought with him the memory of Sodom and Gomorrah. The smell was still in his nostrils. And he simply said, this is more bad lands. And so he tells the tells Abimelech in verse 11, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. And yet he's wrong. He's wrong because we see a great fear of God in both the king and in his advisors. We see, first of all, the pagan king hears in verses 4 to 5. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, here's my brother. I've done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. The king hears God in the dream. And secondly, the king, pagan king acts. We're told early in the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them what had happened, they were very much afraid. He didn't wait. He didn't cogitate. He rose early the next morning, got together his council, and together they were afraid. There is a fear of God upon that people. Eugene Peterson, the famous scholar and, and um, uh, paraphraser of the Bible in the message, has also wrote many books for pastors, some great books. And one of the challenging things he says in one of his books is this. He says, when you go to a new place, look for where God is working and get involved. Look for where God is working and get involved. Because God is working everywhere. Abraham had come into Philistia and assumed that there was no fear in God, assumed that God was not working, assumed that he knew better to care for himself by lying when God was working in Philistia. You see how God is a big God. It's his world, and he is at work. And even in these dark times of 2019, even in these dark times, God is still working in, on this planet. He's working in this country. He's working in this town. Let's not write off this. Now, Satan would want you to write off. He'd want you to disregard Colchester, disregard Essex, disregard this country. We need to pray for this country because God is working. And when we recognize God is working, we will not give up on this nation. We need to pray for this nation and pray that they may become more God-fearing because God is working. And in this pagan nation, God was working. And the pagan king not only acted, he made restoration. We're told in verse 14 to 15, Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. And he didn't stop there. He then went to Sarah, and interestingly, he says this to Sarah, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. Even then, he doesn't say, I'm giving your husband, but I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. And then tells her that their reputation is vindicated. And then this pagan king, he rebukes Abraham. He says this to Abraham. When Abimelech called Abraham and said, uh, in and said, what have you done to us? How, 
how have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? And then he says this significantly, you have done things to me that should never be done. It is in fact the pagan king that recognized the immorality and immoral consequences of what Abraham's lie had done. There was something going on. God was at work in that nation. You see, we shouldn't write off other people. We should never write other people who has been too sinful to be, to be reached by God. That's not the attitude of the Christian. That's the attitude of the Pharisee. God is at work. We need to be praying. We're never too sinful to see up. And lastly, we're never too sanctified to shine up. We're never too sanctified to shine up. None of us, as we said earlier on, can ever claim to have made it as Christians. We always are growing and learning as believers. And Abraham had made this mistake. But even in this mistake, God still uses Abraham. Not only does God protect Abraham and Sarah and the seed inside Sarah, even in the midst of the sin, God uses Abraham to bless Abimelech and his household. We're told in verse 7, God says to, to Abimelech, Now return the man's wife, for, she is a prophet, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all, your, all that belong to you will die. This is the very first time in the Bible that the word prophet is used as a title. The very first time. And it shows us the nature of a prophet. We often assume that prophets are people who predict the future. But in fact, often in the Old Testament and in the New, prophets are people for whom the word of God comes. Not always a prediction, it can be a statement. And in the biblical meaning is someone who speaks the words that God gives us. You see, they're not just some mystical fortune tellers, but people through whom God speaks. They are channels of God's word, bringing it to the people. That's why the Bible says, or God says in Psalm 105, do not touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. They're special to God, because they speak his words. And we find that Abraham is described to Abimelech as a prophet. Not that he might predict the future, but they, that he may become a channel of blessing for Abimelech and his family. So we're told in verse 17, that Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. Here's the beautiful truth in this rather unfortunate passage of Genesis chapter 20. The beautiful truth that in the unfortunate slip-up and the sin of Abraham. But God uses fallible human beings that slip up and takes their mistakes and uses them to bring healing and power into the lives of others. Just remember who Abraham is. Abraham was so important to the Jewish people that he's called the nation's father and often called Father Abraham. And the, the, the New Testament is full of verses about him. Romans 4, 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. 
Romans 4.16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. This is who we're talking about. Galatians 3, verse 6, So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What a great title. Abraham, the man of faith. And lastly, Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's no doubt in the Bible that Abraham was a great man. The father of the kingdom of Israel and the father of faith. And there's also no doubt in the Bible that Abraham was just a man. A fallible human being who was used of God because he believed God. What does this passage tell us? It tells us this, that we are never too senior to slip up. We are never too sinful to see up. We're never too sanctified to shine up. Abraham was a fallen human being, but God used him to his glory. He protects him when he gets it wrong. He used him as a prophet to bring God's word to the lives of others. And he made him a channel of his healing and peace. In other words, God can use you and me, fallible human beings, people that make mistakes, people that slip up, people that sadly may even lie. God can use us because God is a powerful God. And God is the God who Abraham believed in, who Abraham was used by to his glory. God can use you, and God could use me.